Good evening. Good to see all of you this evening. We are small in number, but we're going to be strong in voice. So let's begin this evening with 162. I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. Thank you so much for that privilege. Thank you so much for your son who was willing to do what needed to be done in order to enable that adoption to happen. Father, we pray that as we sing praises and worship, lift up our hearts to you as we fellowship this evening, as we listen to a message from your word, that you would help us to to do so with that thought in mind of what all he has given up in order <clears throat> for us to be able to be here in this moment. Lord, we thank you for every good blessing that you give to us. We thank you for the way that you take care of us in, in our, our jobs, in, in our, all of our needs that that you meet day to day. Father, the very air that we breathe, the rain, the things that you do to just take care of everything that we need. Father, we're so grateful and appreciative of all those things. And Lord, we're appreciative of this church, this congregation, this fellowship that provides so much of what we need in our spirits and our souls, as well as our physical needs. Lord, we pray that you will be with those who can't be here. We pray that you will be with those who are recovering from illnesses and injuries. We're especially mindful of Betty Larner. She's got another week of radiation. We pray that you will continue to give her the strength and the courage to, to go through that and everyone around her who's supporting her 
He's administering that. We pray for, for complete success, complete healing through that process. Lord, we thank you that Peter is back with us. We appreciate his presence so much and his joy and everything that he, he gives to us when he's here with us. And we thank you that Calvin is able to, to be with us as well. We pray for his continued recovery. And again, we just thank you for the blessing that you have, you have uh, kept him here with us. We, we appreciate that so much. Appreciate him. Lord, we learned that Gail Griffin <clears throat> may, be, may have a, a blood clot in her leg. We pray for that situation. We actually pray that, that that's not the case. We know how dangerous that could be for her with all of her other heart conditions. And Lord, we, we pray for your hand in that situation. We pray for Charlie's um, comfort and, and his being able to, to help her through that as well. Lord, we pray that you be with Chuck this evening as he delivers the, the message to us. Help us to, to have our hearts in the right, in the right posture to be able to, to hear, hear with our hearts, not just to hear, but to listen and to learn. And if there's anything in our hearts that needs to be changed as, as a result of what, he's, what he delivers us, what the word that you've given him to, to deliver to us tonight, help us to be willing to accept that and, and to make those changes to glorify you. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. To help us prepare our thoughts for the Lord's Supper, number 366. Let me share something with you that 
the African African American Christians usually say, they used to say that God has brought me from a mighty long way. And I think that befits all of us uh, where we were and where God brought us. And none of this was possible without his son, Jesus Christ, showing his love for us. You know, one question always besets us is, uh, what does Jesus look like? What, what, what does he physically look like? But when you are born again, born of the water and the spirit, living a Christian life, Jesus looked like you, and he looks like me. When they look at us, they're seeing Jesus. Because that's what he did for us. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And we got to come to that realization if we're going to continue this spiritual walk. Jesus died. He was resurrected by God for you and for me. So as we partake of the Lord's Supper, let's, let's lock in on that. Let's remember his true purpose and remember who lives. He lives. We are now dead to sin. We are now walking in newness of life. And we have now a new savior in our life. God's son, Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to call Jesus our Lord and Savior. Father, and Father, thank you for wanting to gather your children together. Jesus used the example of a hen gathering her ch chicks when he talked about uh, Jerusalem. Father, he came for one purpose, to, to save that which was lost. We were, we, we were lost. That's why he came to save us. We ask you to bless the bread that represents his body. Pray this prayer in the name of your Son, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you pray with me for the wine? Father, we ask you to bless the wine that represents
the blood of Jesus. Father, as we have to get out of ourselves and understand that we are spiritual beings. We are part of the body of Christ, the church. We are set aside from this world. We are a holy priesthood, a royal nation, set aside for God's own purpose. Father, we ask that we build each other up, help each other, humble ourselves, Father, so that we can uh, serve you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who showed us how to say yes to you and no to sin. Ask you to bless the fruit of the vine that represents Jesus' blood. Pray this prayer in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. At this time, the elders, elders set aside this time slot to uh, collect for the upbuilding of the physical part of the church and also to help one another. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for Jesus to show us the proper way to give, to be cheerful givers. Father, not, not giving so that people can look at what we gave and, and, uh, and cheer us on, but to give to, to, to help others, Father, and to help out this body here and don't provide, Father. You, we pray that you bless the, the givers. Father, we, we ask that you bless the funds that are given, Father, and it may be used to build up your kingdom. We pray this prayer in the name of your Son, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our lesson this evening, we'll sing number 300, please. Praise him, praise him. Yeah. 
Is that you activating my mic? Well, it's good to be up here tonight. It's particularly good to be up here tonight since two weeks ago I was being released from the hospital from a heart attack. So it's good to be with you. Good to bring a message. I always like to do that. I like to teach class. Tonight, uh, the class is kind of centered around, I mean, the sermon is kind of centered around the end of time, obviously with the title here. But it's centered on a scripture that you might not think of. When Christ was well into his ministry with his disciples, he told them several parables. Terrible, parable of the mustard seed and things like that. But he also told them the parable about the tares and the wheat. Of all the parables he told them of, they said, we want to know more about that one there, because we didn't understand what that one meant. It may, may have been clouded someone by their, their thought that, well, he's here to establish the kingdom of Israel again, establish as an independent state, or whatever. But they were looking at it to say, really don't understand what you said when you talked about that. So it's in Matthew chapter 13. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. So they didn't ask about the wheat, they just asked about the tares. Tares are the same thing as weeds. Very aggressive weeds, very strong weeds, and when you plant those in there with the wheat, well, they can be more aggressive than the wheat, and they can take away water, they can take away nutrients, they can actually shield over the light. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares, the weeds, are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out, out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine, for, will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So he explained it. But I think they're still kind of in the back of their mind going, huh? Okay, he did explain it. But we really don't understand everything about it. So later on, and near the end of his ministry, when he was in the Passion Week, he's in Jerusalem. He's in and around the temple. Of course, they brought him there and they said, look at this magnificent temple and him like that. So Matthew chapter 24, jumping forward about 11 different chapters, Jesus came out of the temple and was going away with his disciples, came to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and, the, and of the end of the age? So, there's two different questions or two different things that are going on in Matthew chapter 24 that Christ is going to explain. And they're kind of convoluted. And the best way I can explain convoluted is a rope. You have a rope, it has three pieces that are all intertwined with each other. And they're all put together to make it stronger. 
you can pull it apart and you can three, see the separate pieces of the rope, maybe three pieces, four pieces, two pieces to make a rope. But they're all wrapped around each other. And this section is kind of wrapped around each other. He just said, there's the temple, won't be one stone left on top of another one. He's talking about the destruction of the temple. They said, tell us about the end of the ages. In their mind, they're still thinking back, hey, what about the tares and the wheat? We want to understand more about that. Tell us more about what's going on there. And Jesus answered and said to them, see that no one misleads you. So now he's talking about the end of the age. He's directly answering their question. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for these things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many, because lawlessness will be increased. Most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony, testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. So he answered their question, or he's starting to answer their question. But he's going to make a shift. He's going to go back onto the original thing that he was talking about when he was around the temple. Therefore, you will see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to, the cloak, to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes, babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as never has, has, never, has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of those elect, the days will be cut short. So what he's saying here is, it's going to happen in the destruction very quickly. And if you don't get out quickly, you're going to die. Okay? And he talks about the abomination of desolation. It only occurs in one place. It's in the book of Daniel. Daniel's writing in chapter 11 about what he sees in the future. At the appointed time, he will return and come to the south. The he is who, who the question mark you have at that particular time. Now, from the looks and the studies I've done, this is talking about the Seleucid Empire, or the Greek Empire. It's a, it's a part of the Greek Empire. And it's Antiochus IV, but I'll get into that a little bit more. But this time will not be out of the way it did before. For the ships of Kittim, which is Cyprus, will come against him. Therefore, he will be disheartened and return and become enraged at the Holy Covenant and take action. So he will come back and show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. So the invaders coming from the north to the south. 
To me, from what I can understand, it's Antiochus, Seleucid Empire is attacking the Ptolemies in the south in Egypt. And the ships of Chittim, that's from Cyprus. Rome has conquered Cyprus and Greece by this time. The Romans stopped Antiochus from attacking the Ptolemies. Probably the most famous Ptolemy we know of is Cleopatra. She was a Ptolemy. They stop him, and so he can't do anything to the Ptolemies, so he picks somebody who he can do something to, the Jews. Forces from him arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away the regular sacrifice. And they will set up the abomination of desolation. Same words that were in the other one. He goes on to explain, by smooth words he will turn godliness, godlessness, those to act, who act wickedly towards the covenant. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. Those who have insight among the people will be understanding by many. Yet they will fall by the sword and by the flame, and by captivity and by plunder for many days. Now when they fall, they will be granted a little help, and many will join with him in hypocrisy. Some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end of time, because it is still to come at the appointed time. So Daniel leads into the end of time, but he's talking about what's going to happen in the desolation of abomination. If you go through Antiochus IV, he was a sworn enemy of the Jewish people, bitter prosecutor, hated the people, loved to persecute them. He went proudly into the sanctuary after the Romans said, no, you can't attack, attack the Ptolemies. Took away the golden altar, the candlestick, everything that was in there. And there was a lot of mourning in Israel because everything was taken out of the temple. He also took away the daily sacrifice. Would let him sacrifice, took all the implements away. Now, this is a, 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 of Jupiter or Zeus. He set up the abomination of desolation upon the, the idol. He put an altar in there. He could have been a whole, a whole statue. It may have been just a, an altar. We don't know. There isn't enough detail to figure that out. But this, as you might imagine, infuriated the Jews. To the point where it initiated the Maccabean Revolution against the Seleucid Empire two years before the end of his reign. Now you most probably know of that one is the revolt was successful. They threw off the Seleucid control. They reestablished Israel as an independent state. And they celebrated every year as Hanukkah. So that's where Hanukkah came from. So that's the context of the abomination of the desolation was putting in pagan worship in the temple. When Christ is talking to the disciples, that's already happened. But he's talking about something in the future. In the future, in the year of 70 AD, the Roman legions smashed into the fortress or in Jerusalem and took the holy temple, set it afire. This was Titus. Titus was the emperor at that particular time. The temple where it was stood, seething hot, so much fire. Blood was larger in quantity than the fire. They slaughtered all kinds of people in the temple when they went in there. They just, it was a mass slaughter. The Romans believed it must be purified. It's called Sovetarilla. It's a pagan ritual that uses an ox, a sheep, and a pig for sacrifice in the temple. 
And it was conducted most likely by Titus, because the same kind of a purification was done by Vespasian, the previous emperor, in Rome when they had the same kind of a situation. So Vitalia was most sacred in traditional rites of Roman religion. You sacrifice the pig, which is where the sus goes into the, into the, into the word. The sheep, ovis, which is the middle part of the word. And the bull, taurus, is the last part of the word. And it's, it's a blessing that you're seeking from Mars, which is the god of war for the Romans, and to purify the land. You can see the abomination of desolation in 70 AD when they put that in there. Unfortunately, they never recovered. The Jewish state was wiped out as a state, as an entity. Uh, Jerusalem was raised to the ground, not to be built again. So, back into where is Matthew, so you understand the abomination of de desolation. That's the one to the destruction of Jerusalem, where he's also talking about the destruction and the end of time. Now he's back to discussing the end of time. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So, if they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or, behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of man be. Whatever the corpse is, that's where the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation on those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give us light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the, son of, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. He will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. So there's a common theme here. I'm going to come, but when I come, I'm coming in the clouds. So in these verses here, he says, hey, if he says he's over in the wilderness, that's not me. It's not how I'm coming back. If they say he's in an inner room, that's not me. That's not how I'm coming back. I'm coming back in the clouds. That's what he's explained. That is a common point that's all the way through my sermon tonight, is he says, when I come back, I'm coming through the clouds. Now, learn from the parable of the fig tree. He switched back. Like I said, it's convoluted through here, and you've got to follow it. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation shall not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So he says, you're going to be able to recognize what's happening, but you're going to be able to recognize what's happening to the end of Jerusalem. In the next verse, but of that day, now he switched back to the end of time. Or no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. 
And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. There will be two men in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two of them will grinding in the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. So he's just talking now about when he comes. No one will know it except the Father. He doesn't even know what's going to happen. But he just talked about it. When it happens, I'll be coming on the clouds. What's going to happen? Just what he talked about in the parable of the wheat and the weeds. When it happens, I'm going to reap the harvest. We're the wheat. The people that don't want to follow God, they're the weeds. But be sure of this, that the head of the house had known what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been alert and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Remember he said earlier, he said, you may think it's coming when there's wars going on, when there's strife, all kinds of problems. Wrong. There's no indication. There's not going to be any sign. You're not going to know it's coming. That's the other common thing he has through the scriptures to describe it. I'm going to come like a thief in the night. I don't know when I'm coming, but when I come, it's going to be from the clouds. Acts, more reinforcement of what's going on. This is when Christ is ascending. He's leaving to go up into heaven. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing, angels, stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up in the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you in the, into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now, I don't know the light went on and some of the disciples said, wait, he did tell us he was going to do that. He said, don't look for me in the wilderness. Don't look for me in the inner room. I'm going to be coming in the clouds. These two angels just told him, they said, why are you looking up there? But when he comes back, he's going to come in through the clouds. In Thessalonians, Paul's trying to tell the people in Thessalonica what's coming. Someday. Paul doesn't know when. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that in the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with a child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. That day would overtake you like a thief. Oops. For you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So, then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake 
or sleep, we will live together with him. He's talking about the faithful. Asleep is probably dead. Those have passed. Those that are awake, those are us. He says, we don't have anything to worry about. Those who do not follow Christ, it's going to come upon them, and they won't have any time to change. They're going to reap what they, what they experience and how they live their life. He goes on to say in Thessalonians, We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have passed on. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with a great voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore come comfort one another with these words. So when they asked about the wheat and the tares back in the original parable, they never asked about the wheat. They just asked about the tares. Paul just went into a lot of detail to explain the wheat. The wheat go first. Those that are dead go first. Those that are in Christ alive go with them. And we'll talk a little bit more about the tares in a couple of slides. In 2 Peter, he then talks about the days as they get longer. And I think Peter's written this letter much later than when Paul wrote his to, to the Thessalonians. First this, no first, know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the prosimus of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. In other words, people say, He hadn't come yet. He's not going to come at all. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water, with Noah. And by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. You know, when I was growing up, you'd hear it say, boy, people are going to bring the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. It's the end of creation. Time is part of that creation. But everything will be burned up. Stars, supernovas, black holes, solar systems, the universe, everything will be burned up. But do not let this, this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's the third time he said that. In which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. So he's just gone through and said, you can't count the days, you can't look at the times. You can't look for signs because he's going to come like a thief in the night. Just be confident that he is coming. 
And those people that scoff at you, ignore them. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought to you be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of because which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt away with intense heat. But, according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So Peter's comforted to say, when it's all destroyed, he's already got another place prepared for us. The wheat, the wheat's going to go where God has already prepared a new heaven and a new earth. And it's for us. It's for the faithful. It will be populated with all the faithful at the end of time. And time won't exist anymore. It doesn't exist in the spiritual realm. It only exists in the temporal realm. A couple areas in Revelation to touch on. I'm going to jump down. Uh, this is in chapter 1, where he's beginning to talk to the seven churches. But I'll pick up in 6. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. So here's where John's being shown he's coming in the clouds. Same thing in Acts, same thing in Matthew, same thing in Thessalonians that he talks about. Again, in also, behold, I am coming like a thief. This is kind of in the middle of Revelation, where he's talking about how is the Christ going to come? Nobody knows when he's coming. Only the Father knows when he's coming. Finally, gets back to the tares and the weeds. And I heard for a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. So that they may rest from their labors, for the deeds follow with them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, the cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a broad voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap. For the hour has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud swung the sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. The wheat are now harvested. The parable he talked about, now John sees in a vision for the future on what happens. And the weeds. Another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar. And he called with a loud voice to him who had a sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden down outside the city and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. This is the harvest of the, of the tares. This is the harvest of the weeds. This is the end of the age that John is seeing in his visions. The takeaways. Don't worry about when the end's coming. Don't try and predict it. It'll come when it comes, and nobody can predict what it's going to be. You've seen people trying to say, the signs are here, I know when it's coming. They don't have a clue. Because Christ has said, 
You won't know. I'm going to come like a thief in the night. So what should you do? Always be ready. Don't worry about it. Focus in on serving God and serving Christ and doing what you can to help further the kingdom. And don't worry. You don't have to worry about the end of the age because you're wheat. You're already in that first group that's going to be taken up. If there's somebody here that isn't part wheat who hasn't decided that they wanted to follow Christ, then you're the weeds. We can help you with that. We can help you obey the gospel and become a son of God or daughter of God, a child of God. Or if there's something that's preventing you from really, really serving God, we'll pray with you. We'll help you. That's what we're here as brothers and sisters in Christ is to help each other grow closer together and grow closer to God. If this message is open to you tonight, please come forward to stand and sing. here this evening, whether here or at home. Uh, thanks for that message, Chuck, on the end times. Um, about 20 years ago, I took a class on eschatology, is the right word, the end times over at Florida School of Preaching. Uh, I took it with Chad Tagto, who spoke this morning, and John Fisher. Uh, we drove to Lakeland for uh, once a week. For, you know, like I said, it was 20 years ago, and they were discussing it then, it's discussing it now. It ain't happened yet. <laughs> like Chuck says, be ready. That's really the key, be ready. So. Appreciate Chuck's message. Um, I'll give you some updates. Grab yourself a bulletin. Bulletin's got a lot of stuff in there. Um, it's got a schedule, prayer list, even an article. Um, we had a baptism this morning. Ava Boudreaux, the daughter of Scott and Mallory, was baptized this morning. We are thankful for her decision. So that's a really good thing. Um, so Ava was baptized this morning. Some people to pray for. Betty Larner. Betty has one week left, about a week left on radiation. She's got two weeks down, one week to go. She'll be ringing the bell on that. We're thankful for that. 
And uh, another, update, another update, uh, Gail Griffin, uh, I, with all the other announcements this morning, I, I missed this one this morning. Gail stayed home, she had a problem with her leg. Uh, this afternoon, Charlie's taking her to Melbourne to try to get an ultrasound. It's possible that she has a blood clot in her leg and with the, uh, the heart problem she has, uh, it's a serious possibility. So pray for Charlie, pray for Gail uh, in that endeavor. Um, another announcement I made this morning, and I'll say it again for those who don't know. Chuck White has resigned from his role as an elder of this congregation. We are thankful for his years of leadership and service. He will continue to serve the church as a Bible teacher and a song leader and a preacher. <laughs> and as well as his other spiritual gifts, which may or may not include puns and one-word answers. So, anyways, uh, we love Chuck and uh, thankful for his service and his leadership. Um, coming in August, coming in August, um, the mask mandatory thing we have on Sunday night, we're gonna drop that. If you need, if you want to wear a mask, that's still optional, um, but we're gonna drop that starting in August. Um, we'll talk to, I think, a lot, several of you who that's been, beneficial for, if you still want to wear it. We have plenty of space to space out, so hopefully that'll make a difference here, and hopefully it doesn't keep anybody from being able to worship either. So that'll be a change. This Saturday, 8.45, Denny's Men's Breakfast. Is that correct, Bob Caddy? Okay. Doug up front was asking about it. Bob Caddy's the guy in the back with his gray shirt. So, so anyways, keep an eye out for them. Um, Sunday, I mean Saturday at 8.45. Next Wednesday, July 13th at 10 a.m., it is Senior Game Day. It is the always fun Senior Game Day right here. This week's game, this month's game is Duck Duck Goose. Is that correct? Duck Duck Goose. It's got to be. All right. They're going to have pizza at noon for the survivors of the game. So anyhow, uh, looking forward to the game day for those who can be there next Wednesday at 10. Um, I had another note here. Chuck had the word Suvitorilia. I, I still think that's where I got the idea for Arby's. That picture with the cow and the pig and all standing on each other. Sorry, I'll just throw that in there. It's got a chicken in there too, so yeah, who knows if they can find it and they'll do it. So, And one final announcement. Um, I said I read this stuff. I wrote this stuff down so that I can get the, uh, the wording just right. The elders have hired Matt Robinson as our pulpit minister. Ads were placed nationwide at Christian colleges, in ministry newsletters, and in the Christian Chronicle. A search committee was assembled to represent a cross-section of our congregation. They scrutinized each applicant and submitted a group of topic candidates to the elders. We're appreciative of their efforts um, to do that work. Um, the elders evaluated the top candidates for their ability to teach, to preach, and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. One quality separated Matt from the other candidates. He's a son. He's not his hired hand. We expect his quality to serve our congregation well. So hopefully that'll be a stabilizing concept. We expect that to be a stabilizing concept here as we move forward. Um, thanks for being here tonight. On Wednesday night, Matt's going to lead class on 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, right here. We're moving on. So. First Corinthians 10 here in the on the orange carpet, or we got the chat room open for that too. Stay safe out there. I think it's still raining here and there. Uh, Camille's on her way back from Bible camp, driving in the rain. So, anyways, stay safe out there. If you will, please stand for our closing hymn and remain standing for the prayer that will follow.
Father, we're thankful for this and other Lord's Day that you've so graciously given us and for the privilege to assemble to sing songs, offer prayers, and hear a lesson from your word. Father, we pray that we may take what we've heard and apply it to our lives so that we are always ready, ready for whatever you determine for us. As we leave this place, Father, we ask you to watch over us and care for us to keep us safe. Father, help us to be part of that shining light. And Father, when we fall and our light gets a little dim, we ask that you pick us up and dust us off and set us back on the right path. Be with all of us, Father. Forgive us for our many sins. This we ask in Jesus' most holy name. Amen.